I was driving down here today, and just so good to see y'all. Good things are going on in the kingdom of God, right? And, uh, you know, <clears throat> I recently, we recently had our 50th wedding anniversary. And about that time, I heard a story about a, a couple been married 50 years, and they lived in Enid, Oklahoma, and they were on their way down to Houston to uh, actually kind of between Austin and Houston. And the family was going to put on a 50th wedding uh, deal for them, and uh, they went through Waxahachie, and they'd argued for 50 years. And so the husband said, well, there's Waxahachie. His wife said, that's Waxahachie. He said, it's Waxahachie. He said, it's Waxahachie. And they argued 30 minutes, and finally he said, we'll solve this. So they pulled in at a Dairy Queen, and he went up to the counter with her. He said, get over here. And a little 16-year-old girl came up, and he said, how do you pronounce this place? She said, Dairy Queen. <laughs> they needed that, didn't they? So anyway. Oh, anyway. I, I was driving up about Stringtown this morning, and uh, the Lord kind of changed my direction. And this is not a sermon at all. I'm not going to preach a sermon. I'm just going to talk to you a little bit about life. Uh, somebody asked me one time, they said, James, what do you think your greatest gift is? And I said, well, I would think my greatest gift is to tell you how not to do it. <laughs> That's kind of how I've learned everything about life, is learning by how not to do it. Uh, most of you know I'm, I'm from here. Uh, well, actually spent 25 years here and uh, had two children. Uh, everybody in town knows who my kids are. And uh, I'm going to talk today a little bit about something that happened to me right in the midst of the time that my kids were so rebellious. Okay, Y'all know what rebellion is? Yeah. Did you know it's really worse than witchcraft? When your rebellion happens, it's worse than the sin of witchcraft, the Bible says, because rebellion gets you in a lot of trouble. Uh, we were going through a whole lot as a family. Frankie and I, you know, we got married 18 and 17. We had uh, two kiddos, and uh, we were kind of at polar opposites in the way we did things, and we still are. But, oh, we love each other, especially when we finally meet here. But anyway, uh, we just kind of had different philosophies. She was the baby of 11. I was an only child. I told her when we got married, I said, Dear Lord, we have to make this work. Who would want the baby of 11 or an only child, right? So, But I was really going through it, and uh, I was pastoring a church. A lot of things happened. Uh, my daughter got pregnant at 14 with all my rules and regulations, and, well, we didn't listen to secular music or anything. We had it all together. But I've learned in life when you get it all together, you forget where you leave it, usually. Uh, I was driving in front of the Western Auto, and... I was really kind of, you ever had one of those, nobody loves me, everybody hates me, I'm going to eat a worm day. Anybody here ever had one of those? I was having one of those. And one of the clearest words I've ever received from the Lord was in front of the Western Auto right down here years ago. I said, God, I just, this is a mess. I mean, you know, Corey actually, you know, they've threatened to kick kids out of Atoka High. He actually got kicked out of school. It was almost like a Shane movie. 
I went in the left doors. He went out the right. And I just almost wanted to go, Shane, come back. But anyway, I couldn't do that. He actually, you know, got kicked out of school. And I, I said, God, with all this stuff in this small town, I can never preach on the family again. I mean, I'm, I'm sunk because I, I, I really wanted to try to build a family. And the Lord, just as clearly as we're sitting here today, said, oh, yes, you can. I said, well, Lord, you're going to have to help me. I don't understand what you're saying. He said, you can share with your people how you would do it if you could do it over again. That was a redemptive word for me. In other words, take your mistakes, be transparent and vulnerable, and teach your people what you have learned through your mistakes. And that's what I want to talk to, not just the fathers, but to families briefly this morning. I'm not going to take a long time. But over in Malachi, you can read it this afternoon, in the very last part of the book, it says the last great move of God will be returning the hearts of the fathers to the children and children to the fathers. We've got such a father wound in America. Uh, we don't have any heroes anymore. You know, the thought came to me the other day, I'm not going to mention names because I don't want it to be political, but some of these guys, if 18 or 20 women had said something about the pastor of the smallest Baptist church in Oklahoma, that he'd been inappropriate, do y'all think he could stay the pastor? Well, a lot of our leaders couldn't even pastor the smallest church in Oklahoma. We don't have trust. We don't have mentoring, father. Everything's about hiding and there's no vulnerability and no transparency. We still have this father wound, but God says the last move will be that there's going to start to be a move of fathers returning to their children. Now, most of you know what I, I do. I still do this 24 hours a week. I take care of people who are dying. And y'all, it's amazing sometimes what I run into in this wound we're talking about where people haven't heard from their youngest son in 25 years. Or they have a son in prison and they don't know how, how to live. They, there's such a struggle in the world. And you know, a lot of it's hinging on fathers, that we're going to have to make a move or to be fathers, as Clay's already said. You know, we have not many fathers. I meet every Wednesday, after, every Wednesday morning at 8 o'clock with my spiritual father. And uh, he tells me things I don't like to hear. And he encourages me in things I've never thought of. But I tell you, there's something about, see, I had that father wound. My dad was an alcoholic. Both my grandfathers were alcoholics. One of my grandfathers was an atheist. And what I, the pressure I went under when I surrendered to preach at the First Baptist Church, Kiowa, was that both of my grandfathers hated preachers because they never did anything. They never worked. They invited the preacher to come over in revival one time and eat dinner with my grandpa Hass and his family. He started eating, and somebody said, well, aren't we going to ask the reverend to offer return thanks? And he said, well... Uh, you tell the blank and reverend that some people have to work for a living. I'm hungry. That was what I was raised under. So I, when I, I mean, I know God called me to preach. I mean, I, I can, I know it beyond the doubt. Uh, probably not preach as much as pastor or shepherd the flock of God. Uh, but it was very difficult uh, with that, you know, that environment. Uh, so what I tried to do is make sure I was always working hard, which is detrimental. So the first thing I want to encourage you in today 
is always prefer your family. Always. Put them first. Now people say, what about God? Well, God is the family. You can't dichotomize God and the family. God is the father of the family. And then we're earthly fathers. Always prefer them. You know, uh, I, I managed a Heartland Hospice up there for about four years, and we had like 35 employees, and they would come to me sometimes. James, my daughter's playing basketball this afternoon at 2.30 in the championship at Kiowa. And you know what I'd always say? Well, you get down there right now. Because you know why? You can always make money, but you can only be at your kid's championship basketball game one time. And it became like a family because we preferred family. I'd see them at Walmart. They would, some of them wanted to duck aisles on me. I'd walk up and I'd say, boy, you must be out here doing something for your family. Well, yeah, matter of fact, we got a birthday party. And there was no way I could get off work and come and do that. I said, you, you go ahead. You prefer your family. Now, let me give you a model of how I didn't understand this. About 1992, probably, Atoka went to, I think, they won the regional baseball tournament. So I'm telling, baseball, I'm telling the, the truth here. Girls won the state in 93 and the last three on three, right? So Corey was like a junior, and you know, Corey, uh, he was pretty fast uh, running from his mom. And uh, no, not really, but anyway, he was pretty fast. And uh, it was a Thursday, I'll never forget this. And they were playing like the first game of the area playoffs or something. And that was our church night. And somebody said, You going to the game? Oh, no. I've got to stay here. And I stayed here, and Corey scored the winning run in that game, I think. They put him in just to run, and he scored the winning run. Now, let me tell you what I wished I would have done. I wished I would have said, hey, hey Jack, I'm just using that generically, take care of the service. I'm going to go watch my son play baseball. Always prefer your family. You're doing the will of God when you prefer your family. Always prefer your family. Make them number one. If you tell your wife you're going to take her on a date Friday night, don't you let your golfing buddies mess your life up and you have to eat baloney over the weekend. <laughs> so always prefer your family. Always protect your family. Here's what I mean by that. I don't mean just having a 357 Magnum in the drawer by the bed. I mean spiritually protect your family. Pray for your family. Don't let your kids spend the night in places that you don't know what's going on. The Bible says that we are to fight for our families. He said that in Nehemiah. We've got to fight, and the way we fight is on our knees. Pray for your kids and your family every day. It's the last thing I do at night and the first thing I do in the morning. Put on the armor of God. Stand against darkness, the schemes of the devil, the things that are coming against your family. Protect them. And then also in that protection, provide them ways of escape. Like, for example, always emphasize relationship above rules. Kelly mentioned this a while ago. That it's better to have a relationship with your child where they can be honest than the rule that if you break a rule, you're in trouble. Now, do we like breaking rules? No. And by the way, one of the first people I'm going to try to greet in heaven will be King David, who was a man after God's own heart and was just about as bad a father as I am. <laughs> have been. <laughs> Did you know he was a terrible father? Absalom. He was supposed to do what Absalom did. Anyway, moving right along. Protect your kids. Protect your family by prayer. Don't ever be too tired 
to stand in the blood of Christ for your family. You know, uh, I had a friend, he still is my friend. He's old, he's old now. He's older than I am. He's real old. His name is Paul Burleson. He pastored First Baptist Church Broken Era. He pastored Southcliffe Baptist Church in Fort Worth. He's been all over the world. And one day we were, he liked racquetball. So we went to play racquetball. I got to, he's preaching for me. We got to play racquetball with Paul. I tell you what, I learned this. Don't ever turn around and look for the ball playing racquetball. Always look to the... Anyway, but anyway. And he, he just made a comment. Always look that way. So anyway, but he was all athletic. And by the time the deal was over, I was going like, I wish we didn't have church tonight. But anyway. <laughs> anyway. He had a daughter named Cherry. She was beautiful. Beautiful girl. So when she got about 16 years old, she came one day and said, Dad, I think I'd like to date. And he said, okay, Cherry, sit down here, honey. I'm going to tell you. I'm going to let you double date. And he was pastoring the First Baptist Church Seminole, I think at this time, Seminole, Texas. He said, Cherry, I'm going to let you date. But he said, this is, we're making a covenant today. If any boy ever tells you that he loves you, you have to look at me and promise me that you'll stop what you're doing and come to the house so I can visit with him. <laughs> she said, okay. About three weeks later, there was a knock on the door about 10 o'clock at night. And Jerry said, Dad, this boy told me he loved me. He said, come on in, son. Sit down. I said, well, we want to describe and look at love. Now, there's three kinds of love. There's agape, that's God's love. There's phileo, that's brotherly love. Then there's eros, that's lust. Uh, he said, you only had to do that one time. said, it went all over the town. Don't, don't mess with Cherry Burleson. If you tell her you love her, you have to go talk to her dad. But you know what she told him years later? Thank you, Dad, that you protected me and gave me a way. Now, I don't know if that's the right way to do it or not, but I'm just telling you, your kids need to know that you're their protector and that they can tell you what's going on in their life because relationship is more powerful than rules. Also, you have to uh, understand that uh, you have to be present with your, with your family, emotionally and spiritually as well as physically. You have to uh, know spiritually what's going on with your kids. Let God show you what's happening to your kids. Did you know that scripture, uh, one of the most misquoted scriptures in the world is this one. Raise up a child in the way he's go, he should go, and he's, when he's old, he will not depart from it. People said, well, that's going to church. Well, let me tell you, going to church won't make you a Christian anymore. Going to a barn will make you a mule. You know what it really means? Raise up a child according to their bent, the way they are. And when they're old, they'll not depart. We have to raise our children according to their bent. I tried to raise my kids just the way I was, just so they'd be perfect, which I wasn't. Right? But I just wanted them to be just little, you know, little halo tighteners and just, yes, sir, no, sir, yes, ma'am, no, ma'am. My kids are not that way to this day. They're not, yes, sir, and no, sir. They'll, uh, I tell you what, if there's a war, make sure they're both on your side, though. So, anyway, moving right along. But, uh, uh, we have to raise them, be present with them. We have to, some kids, you can look at them and they start to cry. Some of them, you could beat them within an inch of their life and it's not going to change a thing. You have to learn the secret of their heart and raise them according to their bent. 
Some kids are moved emotionally. Some kids are moved physically. Some kids, you know, uh, Stetson and Dylan, uh, they spent hundreds and thousands of hours with me, which was a delightful thing. I have never put a hand on either one of them, never had to scream at them, never had to do anything except the time Dylan almost drowned Frankie in the pool. I had to grab him and throw him over to the side of the pool because he thought it was fun because he's riding her back and she was about this far into the water. <laughs> anyway, I never, I never had to do anything because their bent was they didn't want to disappoint me. And they never have. And, you know, I, I learned, you learn these things sometimes when it's too late. Back in my day, in 1967, I became a Christian way back in the 57, was baptized, called to preach in 66. We didn't have, uh, you know, we didn't have Gary Smalley and all these wonderful people. We just had Billy John who was telling us to beat the dog out of him. I mean, that's what we, that's, that was our counselor. <clears throat> and I'm not making excuses. I'm just saying, you know, there's a lot of good resources now. And also in that, in that present with kids, always speak a blessing. Gary Smalley wrote a book called The Blessing. And he talked about Jewish culture a little bit in that book. And have you ever met really a Jew that's not very, that has, that's not, hasn't a level of success and familial power? It's because they constantly bless their kids. They start it when they're young. They even have rites and rituals to bless their kids. Gary Smalley said there was a woman pushing a buggy down the way in a Jewish neighborhood, and somebody came up and said, oh, who are these? And she said, that's Isaac the lawyer and Jacob the doctor in their little baby carriage. And he said, we, we need to learn how to speak a blessing on our kids. Nobody can bless them better than a father's voice. <clears throat> you know, in the Bible, you'll find that that blessing was worth anything. They'd give anything for that blessing. It's all about Isaac and Jacob and Esau, and it's all about the blessing. Speak a blessing. One day, another one of those moments when God corrected me. I've heard people say this, and I've said this, but I haven't said it since probably 1999. I've heard people say, boy, that, that's the meanest kid I've ever seen in my life. When he gets big, he's going to have to pay for that when he has kids. Have you ever heard that? God said to me, quit cursing your grandkids. Quit cursing your grandkids. Why would you want your grandkids to be rebellious so your son and daughter would have to pay, which in reality, you'd have to pay? So learn to bless, verbally bless. Show emotions. Show uh, that you care. Uh, speak words. The Bible says we come back to God by words, and that's how we come to our family. Well, just a couple more things. Uh, <clears throat> let me also tell you that uh, you have to release your kids also. There comes a time you have to just say, God, they're in your hands. One time, <clears throat> and I might have told this story here, uh, it's number 733, so... But I used to have a lady who lives in Winsboro, Texas now, and for years was the counselor for the Baptist, Butler Baptist Children's Home in Dallas. Her name is Kathy Smedley, and her husband, Ron Smedley, was in a pastor's group with me. 
and our wives, and we'd go, and we got to know them really well. They were pastoring a church down close to Waxahachie, or Waxahachie. And uh, one day, she was just talking about how she loved to minister to women, and I said, Kathy, I said, why don't you come up to our church one day a month and let me pay you for eight hours and you spend time with the women of the church because they have issues sometimes they don't need to be talking to, to the men about. So she concurred to do that. So once a month she'd come up. I remember who didn't make the appointment even. I can't tell you where I live, but I, I, Karen Burden missed her appointment, which doesn't surprise any of us. And she called about two minutes to the hour and said, I'm not going to be able to be there, you know. Uh, I've been abducted by aliens. No, she didn't say that, but anyway. But yeah, I love Karen. Anyway, she couldn't make it. So I said, Kathy, can I have this session? So we went in. She listened. She said, man, you're really going through it, especially with your son, aren't you? And I said, yeah. And then right towards the end of the session, she said, I'm going to share something with you that you'll never forget. I said, okay. She said, I learned this at North Texas State University doing my Master's of Family Therapy from a professor that wouldn't know God from a bucket of mud, but said right in the middle of uh, teaching one time, he was talking about releasing people, letting them be their own person. He said, uh, well, class, he said, let me just remind you all this before we leave. There was only one parent that ever, one perfect parent that ever lived. And both of his kids chose to mess up in the garden. There's only one perfect parent that ever lives. That's God the Father but his children could still mess up. It's their choice. That's why you got that window to teach them the things of God. And then afterwards, oh, you just have to trust God. I went to Liberty to uh, do counseling 612, theories and techniques, and my professor was a Baptist preacher, Dr. David Miller. He got up in front of the class, and this is what he said. There's 150 of us there. I'm thinking I'm going to be the only non-Baptist preacher there, and I found out there weren't hardly any Baptist preachers there. They already knew everything. But anyway, moving right along, that's a joke. Hey, and I just, I don't know if we want, want to put this, tape, this on tape or not. This is a little too personal. Anyway. anyway, David Miller got up, and he said, Welcome to class, y'all. I'm so glad you're here today. We're going to learn about learn a lot this week. We've got 40 hours. We're going to learn about theories and techniques and counseling. You're going to have a ball. Let me just tell you before we get started. When my son was 16, he got so rebellious I couldn't raise him, so I sent him to military school. He's out now. We're doing pretty good. Just wanted y'all to know that. Now, some of you won't hear another thing I say because I'm not a perfect father, but for the rest of you who are hurting, let's do some work. I'll never forget that as long as I live. And uh, I learned from that that uh, I don't care if you're Dr. David Miller and you're the head of the Hoot and Toot department at wherever you're at, that your kids are your kids and you want to train them in a way they should go according to their bent. But you also have to release them to God. Let me give you a model. The prodigal son. I have meditated that scripture a thousand hours. And the thing I've come away with was this, that the father allowed his son to go and he stayed at the house and never went looking for him. Because he knew unless you come back here, it's not going to do any good to find him. It's a heart issue. And that's something else I want to tell you. Prodigals do come home. I was talking to somebody this week. They said, well, I, my kids, i got five kids, and they've all done well but one. And 
and they're, they're astray right now. And I said, well, prodigals do come home. And they do come home. Just make sure you keep the house in order. Keep things straight. Make sure you got a clean robe because they're going to smell like pig dung when they get back. Make sure you got an extra credit card. That's the ring. Make sure you got shoes because slaves are barefooted. Sons have shoes. And keep a fatted calf up also. You never know when you might have several in the backyard. I'm going to close. Uh, now, Becky Mixon, uh, is she the teacher, has been the teacher over, am I right? The dark-complected Mixon, help me, that taught for a long time over there behind Walmart at that school. Anyway, one of the Mixons, there's more Mixons in Topeka County than people, right? So anyway, moving right along. One of the Mixons, when, when I was right in the middle of this, taught me patience also. I went over, and she was a gracious lady. She came over, and she said, Mr. Krausen, how you doing? I said, oh, you know, I think I told her, I said, you know, I, I was like I was in this tunnel, and I was going down this tunnel, and I saw some light, and I ran towards it, and sure enough, it was another train. You ever been in those tunnels? But anyway, she said, Mr. Krausen, I'll never forget this. How old are you? And I said, I'm 40 years old. She said, how old is Corey? I said, he's 17. She said, Mr. Krausen, you ever been 17? I said, yes, I was. Let's not talk about that. She said, well, you've been 17, but he's never been 40. You know, some people think I'm delusional. Somebody told me this week, you're the most delusional person I've ever met. And it really hurt my feelings, and I almost fell off my unicorn. But anyway, <laughs> moving right along. <laughs> that was a lesson to say you've got to be patient. You've got to wait on God's processes. So, what do we do? We start today. John Maxwell, even though you can't go back and make a, make a brand new start, my friend, anybody can start today and make a brand new end. Keep your family together. Pray over your family. Be faithful to your family. Love your family. Understand that the biggest scheme in the world today is to divide a home. I had a friend. He's my dearest friend. He texted me this morning, wish me happy Father's Day, that allowed darkness into his marriage after 46 years of marriage and left his wife and his family and married his high school sweetheart. She wasn't too sweet or she wouldn't have done that, right? But anyway, my point is, what I learned through that was it's a battle forever. Keep your family intact. Love your kids. Speak to your kids. Have private times with your kids. Dads, when your daughters get about 16 or 17, I never did this, take them out for a nice dinner. Teach them how a man is to treat a woman, that they do still pull the chair out, that they do open the door, that they don't... They don't. This, this is how most couples go nowadays. They get up from the table and he's on his phone. And she's going... Trying to keep up with him, right? Stop. I mean, those are just... You know, to some people, stupid things, but teach by life, right? And always respect the person God's given you. Well, we're going to have a song, and I think uh, what I'd like to do this morning is just have everybody just stand with me. Now, next week I'll have a sermon, okay? I'll just put this one I had for today in a baggie and stay good and fresh. Mm. Uh, let's bow our heads together. As our group comes, sorry. Go ahead. Now, let me ask you this today. 
Would you let God challenge you today, all you men especially, to be the priest of your home, to pray for your family, to stay in there and believe God? And if you want to do that, every head bow, just raise your hand to God and say, God, I want to be that priest in my family. Anybody? Thank you. Anybody here that knows of uh, brokenness in a home? Uh, just continue to walk in love and trust God. And remember you haven't lost because you're going to learn something that's going to catapult you to the next place that God has for you. Just stay faithful to God and faithful to your family. Building those relationships. Churches built on rules don't do well. Churches built on relationship with God and one another, they do real well. That's a lesson of life in our families also. So, Father, as we sing here today, as we close out, we worship you and we lift up our hearts to you. And I pray for every man in this room and those that are attached to this fellowship that that last move of God that's promised will happen in our homes, that our hearts will be restored to our children and our children's heart be restored to us. Bless our grandchildren the future they have in you, the blessings that will come their way, that you're going to send a move of your spirit in this country, Father. We believe that, that we're going to see a revival come. And it's going to be a revival of the heart of the families. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.